form us and change us by your grace. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Have a seat, please. Well, hopefully uh, today is a day to celebrate. Tonight at around 8.15, I hope to be celebrating uh, Browns win around 11.30 or so. That's why I wore my Browns jersey today. If you're a Steelers fan, I'll try to hide it behind this jacket. Sorry about that. Uh, my two-year-old, uh, Remy, uh, we were in the van the other day, and all of a sudden, she starts yelling, here we go, brownies, here we go, like unprompted. And my wife said, They're gonna, your kids are going to remember you like that. I said, I hope so. That would be a great legacy. And then tomorrow night, Buckeyes OH. Yeah, if you're a Michigan fan, I'm sorry. God loves you still. But you know what? Today, hopefully we celebrate some sports victories today and tomorrow. But you know what? I want to celebrate even something better, something bigger, something that God has accomplished at the chapel. See, in 2017, uh, Pastor Todd and I had the privilege of leading our staff and our elders uh, through the 2017 uh, to 2020 vision. And we were brand new in the ministry. We didn't really know what we were doing, but we said, okay, God, you do. And so we wanted to set big dreams, big goals, and say, God, do what you want. And he exceeded our expectations. So in our 2020 vision, I just want to celebrate what God has done. For instance, uh, we were able to have 2,000 people engaged in a small group or a serving team at all three of our campuses. What an incredible thing. Uh, we were able to invest 10,000 hours and $1.1 million dollars in our community, in our world. That's because of your generosity. People outside of the church, those across the ocean, and those uh, right next to Lake Erie, all around our communities and our world, had hope because of your generosity. Thank you for that. What an incredible thing to celebrate. We also were able to send 231 people on short-term mission experiences, sending them out into the world, and then coming back and saying, hey, we are also ought to be on mission wherever we live or work or play. What an incredible thing. And then one of my favorite things that happened over the last couple of years is that we were able to launch our Port Clinton campus. Right now, Pastor Ryan is teaching there, and Charles is in Norwalk, and it's just so amazing what God has done. And so I just wanted to take a moment. Can we just say thank you to God for all that he's done at the chapel? It's not our pastors or our staff. It's you. It's God what has happened, and we're so thankful. But the chapel, the mission of the chapel still needs to go forth. We want to be a church that helps people take one step closer to God and each other. And that happens through relationship with Jesus. That's our mission. That's who we are. It's always going to be who we are. And we're not done accomplishing that mission at the church. And so over the next three years, beginning today, we want to look ahead to 2023. What are we going to be as a church? Who are we going to be? What are we going to be known for? And so over the next three years, beginning today, we're launching a vision that we're calling Growing Deeper. Why Growing Deeper? Over the last 34 years, the chapel started off in a living room in Pastor Bill and Darlene's home, our founding pastor. And now we have a footprint in three communities, Port Clinton, Norwalk, and Sandusky. If I were to compare the church to a tree, it's reached wide, and we're grateful. It, that wide reach is why I'm here and why you're here as well. But as we've evaluated where we're at as a church, where we're at in these times, in 2020 and all these things happening and beyond, we were praying and saying, God, where do we want to go? Who do we want to be as a church? And we prayed and we met as an elder team and we met with our staff. And after much prayer, we said, we need to grow deeper. We need to look at the roots of our tree or of our church. 
and make sure they're growing deeper into the nutrients, or getting the nutrients and, and growing deeper in the fertile soil of God's truth. And when we do that, when we grow deeper in the fertile soil of God's truth, we're becoming a healthy church. A church that God can look down upon and say he's proud of who we are as a church. And all throughout scripture, knowing that we're a healthy church can be seen by the fruit that we bear or the crop that we produce. We see in Psalm chapter 1, one of my favorite psalms in scripture, in verse 3, it says, Those who are walking with God, those who are blessed, are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all that they do. When I think of the chapel, whatever's going on in the world, whatever's going on around us, I want to be able to say our church is thriving. It's healthy. It's not dying. It's bearing fruit. And we get to be that way as we continue to focus on our root system and growing deeper. I think of what Jesus says about trees. He says a good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. And then he says, every tree that does not produce good fruit, it's, it's worthless. It's chopped down and thrown in the fire. You see, you can identify a tree by its fruit, and you can identify people by their actions. Good trees, healthy trees, healthy people, healthy churches are those who are bearing good fruit. They're known by their actions. They're known by who they are, bearing the fruit of God's love and faithfulness, and mercy, and so many other fruit-bearing opportunities that we have as our church. I want to be known to be that kind of church. Or I think of a parable that Jesus tells. He said there's different soils or different hearts that we can plant God's word into. And if we want to be the kind of soil or the kind of life that God wants from us, then we're going to put it in the good soil. And Jesus goes on to say this, the seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word. Those who do, they produce a harvest of 30, 60, even 100 times as much has been planted. Jesus says, look, when you hear God's word and you understand it and then you do something about it, you're going to produce a crop. You're going to produce a harvest of 30, 60, 100 fold. He's going to multiply our efforts if we continue to be the healthiest church we can be. And that's what we want to do. We want to focus on our roots at the chapel and let them go deeper and deeper in God's truth. And so we've identified six roots, six roots that we want to talk about over and over and over again. Todd and I were talking between the services. We, we agree. We want, to get, we want to talk about this so much over the next few years you're going to be tired of it. But that's good because that means it's getting into our hearts. So we're going to talk about these six roots constantly. You're going to see them in our atrium when you leave. We want these to be the, the things that we really talk about and live for over the next three years as a church. So here they, here's what they are. We want to be a church that is a culture, a family. We want to build that here. We want to become like Jesus. We want to equip the next generation we want to cultivate healthy relationships, gain financial wisdom, and engage our neighborhoods, our communities, and our world. Over the next six weeks and beyond, we want to talk about how do we grow deeper and deeper with these roots in mind. 
Today, we want to look at the first root together, and it's building a culture of family. Now, I want you to think about your family for a moment. Maybe it's your family of origin. Maybe it's your family now. Many of us came from a really good family. Wasn't perfect. Got some crazies, let's be honest in there, right? But we love it because it's our family. When we could come home, we looked forward to it. If I were to ask you, tell me about your family. Give me some words to describe your family. You would use words like, I belonged. I'm accepted for who I am. I'm loved. I'm cared for. And that's what a good family does. But not all of us came from a good family or have a good family right now. Some of us come from a divorced family, a broken home, an abusive home, a place where you were forgotten, rejected. Maybe today you're estranged from some family. And so when I talk about family, you feel a little limp in your soul because of that. If I were to ask you, tell me some things that describe your family, you would use words like pain, woundedness, hurt, betrayal. If that's you, I'm sorry. You know, there's nothing better than being able to rely on having a good family, especially in hard times. There's nothing worse than knowing that you don't have a good family. And yet there's hope. And that's what we want to talk about today. What God's family ought to look like. You see, when God established the church, I think a lot of people think the church is a building. It's not. It's a people. It's a movement. And when he's thinking about the church, he's thinking about us being a family, taking people from different walks of life, different kinds of beliefs, different backgrounds, coming together and being a family. And that's what Jesus prays for. You see, when Jesus is right, is right before he's going to be betrayed and arrested and eventually murdered, Jesus is praying. And he's praying for you and me. I'll show you. Here's what he says in John 17. He says, I'm not just praying for the people around me, my disciples. I'm praying for those who believe in me through the message that you hear He's talking about you and me. If you believe in Jesus, Jesus at this moment, right before he goes to the cross, he's praying for you. He's praying for us as a church. And what he prays for is really beautiful. He says, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Jesus looked through the quarters of time and he saw a people coming together and they would be one. And he anchors that oneness in the relationship that the Father has with the Son. A relationship built on intimacy and belonging and love and unity. He wants that for his people. And what's so mind-boggling is at the end, he says, when we act that way, when we become a family, then the world on the outside looking in, will believe in Jesus. Our love is the proof that Jesus came and died and resurrected. We get to be that proof to the ongoing world. And Jesus prayed for that. He had such a huge vision for his people in mind, a vision to be a family. And what's so beautiful, when you turn the pages from the Gospels into church history in the book of Acts, you see Luke sharing about what happened right after Jesus ascended to heaven, sent the Spirit down, and then the people became alive. And these strangers with different beliefs and different backgrounds, 
came together and they formed a family. They were the answer to Jesus' prayer. And as we look at this passage for a few moments, I want you to think about Jesus' prayer in the back of your mind. He prays for oneness, and he prays that oneness would attract other people to it. So look what happens. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers, they met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy excuse me, and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Jesus prays that his people would become one. They would be, there would be intimacy and belonging and love. And we see that in the first church. They gathered together. They prayed together. They opened the scriptures together. They helped one another. They went to great lengths. They even sold their possessions to help people in need. And like a good family, they ate together, ate good food together, enjoyed fellowship and the friendships that they forged. These once strangers that came from different backgrounds came together as a family. And at the end, what's it say? The Lord added to their family. These people lived in such a way that they were attracted to what was going on in their family. And you have to understand, people that were going to join this church had to forsake their Judaistic roots. They had to forsake their backgrounds and their beliefs. They had to forsake so many things, including the potential of being killed for their faith. But they couldn't stay away because they saw a people together where they belonged. And they felt loved and cared for and valued no matter what was happening in their lives. And when I read that, my heart, it just beats so fast. Can you imagine the chapel being that kind of church? That the chapel would be the answer to Jesus' prayer? I know living in the 21st century, we live in a Western culture where it's all about me, me, me. And we make decisions, of course, based upon our needs, our desires. And I understand, in our culture, church doesn't have that place of prominence like it used to. But I think the reason is, is because we've approached church in a way that does not line up with God's vision for the church. I think it's what J.D. Greer says here. As a pastor, he says, the church is not an event to attend, but a family to belong to. And I think for so long, we look at church as just a place to go a place to attend, a place on a Sunday that you know at 11.30 we're gonna be here and we're gonna help fill your spiritual tank for the week. But the problem is if that's how we approach church, then we don't approach it in the way that Jesus had in mind. We become consumers. When we attend church, we become consumers. When we walk in, we expect 
the songs to be the songs that we like. We want the sound to be the sound that we like. We want the children's ministry to reflect what we like. We want our student ministry to reflect what we like. We want the pastor to say what we want. We want the groups to be in a certain way. We want events to look like this. We want to be this and that. And if we don't, we'll just go somewhere else. It's almost like we're treating church like it's Target. I go to Target, I don't see what I want, so then I go to Meyer. But that's not what the church is about. When Jesus established the church, he never thought that people would, if they disagreed with something, or it wasn't to their liking, they would just hop the church to church to church. When we look at the church as a place to attend, when we come in, we'll sneak in and we'll sneak out. We don't need to talk to anybody else because I'm here for me. When we look at the church as just an event, when we go, we'll look down on people. If they're not like us, we'll judge people if they look a certain way or believe a certain way or live a certain way or their sexuality is a certain way or their political views are a certain way. Here's what boggles my mind. Why is it in the Gospels, the ones who are the outcasts of society, the ones that we see are labeled as sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes, they were the ones that felt at home with Jesus. Why don't those kinds of people feel at home in the church? If a prostitute walked into our church right now, who would talk to her? Jesus would. They would walk away from Jesus and they would say, I belong to him, the savior of the world. They felt at home with him. Do people feel like that when they come into the chapel? If we look at a church as a place to attend, we'll have someone open the door for us, someone give us a cup of coffee, someone sing to us, someone to teach us but we won't give back. I'm not saying this to make you feel guilty. If you've been an attendee or you just looked at church as an event to go to, I'm not judging you because that's how I used to, to be. But then I started to look at scripture. Then I started to look at what the church is all about. I don't need another thing to go to because I'm already busy enough. We need a family to belong to. That's how Jesus established the church. You see, when we're a family, when we walk in, it won't matter what songs are sung. It won't matter if that Yahoo teaching has a Browns jersey on or not. It's not going to matter if we do the exact event that you want or a group that you want. I'm in. Because this is my family. All of us have family members, whether it's our parents or our children or our aunt and uncle or someone that disappoints us. Do we just walk away when they don't do what we want? No. Because we're a family. Yeah, family's really hard. But family is worth it. And Jesus wants to establish a family here that's even better than we can fathom. When we're a family, we walk through the door, whether it's a prostitute, a tax collector, someone that we don't like, someone that believes differently, someone that looks differently, we're going to approach them. We're going to be the one that welcomes them. We're going to be the one that scoots down so they have a seat next to us. We're going to be the one that seeks them out in the atrium. We're going to be the ones that follow up with them after a Sunday and not expect Todd and I to do all the work. That's what families do. Families just don't go and make other people do everything. And if they are, it's an, it's an unhealthy family. Healthy families, they own it. It's their family. They'll do whatever it takes. When we're a family at a church, we recognize who we are and what we have and what we can do. And we realize that all of our other family members will benefit if we do those things and give those things and become those things. And so we do that. Why? Because Jesus prayed that we would have a family atmosphere at the chapel. We are too big. We have too many services. We have too many campuses. 
to look at church like a place to just come and hide or come and take. And it can't just be the pastors that do it. If we're not all in on this, we'll never become a family. We'll never be the answer to Jesus' prayer that he prayed 2,000 years ago, right before he took on the cross. That's why over the next three years, when we look at different vision roots of the chapel, building a culture of family is going to be right in front of us the whole time. Because you and I long for it. And over these next six weeks, we're going to tell you what we plan on doing and how we plan on doing that and how you can get involved in the vision. But we decided today not to give you how we can be a family. Because how really will ring hollow if we don't understand the why. Imagine my wife coming up to me and telling me how I'm supposed to love her. She would feel like I'm forced to do that. I don't want to force anybody to love other people. We should just do it because Jesus is calling us to do it. That we can have in here what all these other people long to have. We've got to understand the why. And I want to leave you with what Erwin McManus, who's a pastor, says is the why. That we must build a culture of family as we approach 2023 at the chapel. He says, home is ultimately not a place to live. But it's about the people with whom you feel alive. Home is about love, relationship, community, belonging. And all of us are searching for home. Every single person has these longings to belong. And in, that, in the world we are in today, it's so easy to be isolated, so easy to feel excluded. I want the chapel to be a place where we're a family. So by 2023... Every single person who walks through our doors, whether you've been a part of the chapel for 34 years or it's your first time, you can walk through these doors, exhale, put on your sweatpants, be comfortable, and say that I'm home. Home is where we come alive. And home is what Jesus prayed that the church would become. I'm hoping that you'll join me in what God's asking us to do over these next three years. Let's pray together. Jesus, I'm so grateful for not just your prayer, but for the example in Acts. What boggles my mind is when we take your word seriously, not only do you move in our midst, but people on the outside looking and want to be a part. Lord, my dream is for the chapel in, com in the communities of Port Clinton and Norwalk and Sandusky to be such a, such a family that even people who want nothing to do with you or the church are drawn to us because what's happening in here is irresistible. I pray, Lord, that all of us would be consumed with making others feel loved and belong because we know how much it means to us and we feel that way. Thank you, Jesus, for your prayer. May we have the boldness to be the answer to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me, and every week we're going to recite uh, this uh, passage together. This is our benediction. So stand with me, and this is what our cry is going to be as we grow deeper in Jesus. Would you read this with me? Colossians 2, 6, and 7. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him, and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness.
Someone will be around to dismiss you in a few moments. Thank you.